0: There are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain. David Wilson.
1: At this time of year, I find myself doing something very unconsciously. I don't do this on purpose, and I guess it's true with most people who are into wine. We all seem to do the same thing. We start to change our wine wardrobe about this time of year, and it's something that happens ever so subtly, but before you know it, we're drinking completely different wines than what we were drinking in the middle of the summer. So I really wanted to dive into this idea of how we go about changing what is in our glass, what drives us to do this, and should we perhaps be? making a more conscious effort to change what we're drinking. That's going to be our main topic today. And man, oh man, have I got a guest and a half today. My guest is Catherine Follis. She is one of only 219 Master Psalms and the fifth female sommelier worldwide?
2: Yes, I was the fifth woman to become a, a master sommelier in the world.
1: Man. And so how long ago did you get the title?
2: Uh, it'll be 22 years Holy in sm- November.
1: 22 years. So it was definitely not as fashionable, especially for a woman, to be seeking that kind of credential at that point in time. What was the driving factor for you?
2: Well, I love wine and I love traveling and seeing the world and didn't know if I would end up in wine wine or cooking or hotel management or owning a wine bar, I didn't know what it would be. And I realized very quickly that the subject matter was quite complex. And if I didn't force myself to take exams and study and be on a a timeline, that I would never do it. I would just say, oh, I'll do that next weekend or the following weekend or in a month. But having this of exams, you know, rigorous exams, and the examination process was grueling, and it just really is a motivator to get it right eventually. And so I needed the program in order to have some kind of structure and framework and deadlines. Otherwise, it wasn't going to happen.
1: I'm kind of trying to put my head back to where it might have been 20 years ago, let's say, and I wish I could have it back. But anyway, the level of excitement that the human population, especially the American population, has for wine has changed radically in the last couple of decades. So, it has. you know, I, I don't think people were talking master psalms in everyday wine discussion 20 years ago, nor could they even pronounce the word sommelier. And I still don't know if I have it right. It,
2: <laughs> well, like I say in my new book, Ten Grapes to Know, which is available in many independent bookstores as well as on Amazon and all the big sites, I give you pronunciation for all the grapes, and I give you pronunciation for how to say sommelier. And what I share with people is that you take the word summer, a word that we can all say summer, and you take the R and change it to an L. That's summel. Okay. So summer, take the R, change it to an L, and you have summel, and then yay, the wine is here. (laughs) Summel. Yay.
1: Summel yay and summel boo.
2: (laughs) And so I wanted to create easy guides to kind of take the mystery out of these things and just make the language and the subject matter digestible and fun and uncomplicated and refreshing, and that's been my goal. It's only in the last seven years or six years since the movies have come out, the documentaries right. um, that people know what I am and I, it's amazing because I've been a master sommelier for I guess almost 22 years but it's only since the movies came out that people actually recognize my title and ask me questions and are in awe.
1: That is really amazing when you think about it because you're absolutely right, the movie Som really focused a lot of attention on your profession and even gave us a way out of having to pronounce sommelier by just making it Psalm, which actually raises the question, are you called a psalm more often, or are you called a sommelier more often? I'm talking about the general public.
2: Well, psalm is so much easier to say, even though it's kind of a nickname, if you will. So whatever, as long as people are talking about us, that's great. you know. And as long as people are feeling more comfortable, and as long as people are embracing and using the knowledge that their sommeliers or their psalms have at the restaurant or at the wine bar or whatever it is, I think it's wonderful. I mean, we're there to help people get to the, the better wine, a better wine for a better price. That's what our job is. Well, I mean, primarily our job is to make the chef happy by making the food taste better, by giving them a good wine. But, you know, we like to think that we're there to make the wine experience happen.
1: So I'm thinking back to my very first experience with a sommelier, and it was at a fine dining establishment in Los Angeles, and I was just out of college. And this person hovering over our table scared the Jesus out of me. And I felt mm-hmm. so intimidated because I, I had no idea... How how to even work with this person, what their job was, I just knew in my heart that it was going to be expensive. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my, my first instinct yeah. is like, I don't really want your help because I know this is going to cost me big time. It's cost. But now what's really interesting is how the whole personality of Psalms has changed so radically. And we've got this huge body of really cool people. They're hip, they're fun. They wear jeans and t-shirts just like the rest of us. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's no longer the stuffy person in a tuxedo that's going to cost you a lot of money. Instead, these are really, really cool, fun people. And I just noticed how many more people are wanting to be credentialed in one way or another where wine is concerned, where there wasn't that high level of interest. Is, is that your take on it as well?
2: Yes, and there are many credentials. I mean, when I was right. seeking out some kind of program, I was aware of the Master of Wine program or the Master Sommelier program. And today there are many more programs available and there are Classes you can take on a weeknight or weekend over a period of months, or there are dedicated month-long programs to get a diploma. You know, so there are a lot of options these days to get a formal wine education. But there weren't really any options when I started out, and so I'm glad that there are these options that that you can get to, you know, a level one or level two or whatever it is in whatever program, so that you do have something to take into a job interview. Some employees require a certain level of certain programs. right, and that's. All that will be able to be eligible to even apply. And so I think it's nice to know that there are these bodies out there providing these kind of up-to-date wine credentials because it's important. You know, the, the world of wine is a moving target. You never know your material. You constantly have to update and study and taste and meet producers and travel, and you can't just read a book and you're done. The other thing is many people start out and they read a book and they think they know a region like Bordeaux, but they've never been to Bordeaux or met producers from Bordeaux or tasted a variety of wines from Bordeaux. And so it's really hard to say I'm an expert in Bordeaux when you've never even set foot in the region. Right, And it's so hard. And who of us can say we're experts in the whole world of wine. We're not. We all end up with a specialty, a passion. But on a certain level, we have a mastery of the world of wine. So So let me
1: ask you this question. The decision to commit to any kind of extensive program needs to be very well thought out. Because if you head down a road and you get yourself committed to a program that's really not taking you in the direction that you ultimately want to be, you're throwing a lot of time away, I would think.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And money.
1: And money. (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. So what do you say to the person who's listening to us now and says, gosh, I want to go further, where do you guide them?
2: The two main avenues are still Master Sommelier and Master of Wine. Right. The difference in those two has historically been that Masters of Wine became wine merchants or writers. And that program is a lot of intensive and lengthy writing, including at the final stop, a dissertation. And so the Master Sommelier program has historically been... For those seeking positions in a restaurant. So that does not have an emphasis on essays and a lot of, you know, uh, technical information. It's much more geared for people that can feel comfortable with people in a dining room situation. So you have the MS program where you start with level one, the intro, and then you go to the certified, then the advanced and if you survive that gauntlet then you go (laughs) to the final level, the master sommelier.
1: Hold that thought for a second because we have to take a quick break here. You know, there's so much that I want to talk to you about that I don't know if I'll ever get to the topic that I called you about, but it's okay. <laughs> Wherever the world takes us, that'll be just fine. My guest and so really excited to have her on, Catherine Fallis, Master Sommelier. She's also known as the Grape Goddess. And not many people get to speak to a real unabashed goddess, but I get to today. Stay with us, and we'll have more Grape Encounters right after this. While most of us think about pairing wine with food, there are countless wine enthusiasts that would rather pair their wine with a great cigar. That's why your Total Wine & More store has an awesome walk-in humidor. Even if you're not a cigar aficionado, you've got to admit that nothing beats the smell inside that room. The moment you walk in, your brain begins to swirl with visions of a great Cabernet, or perhaps a port that's been aging for decades. When you're done in the humidor, check out their temperature-controlled wine cellar. Better yet, plan your trip around one of Total Wine & More's awesome tastings, or sign up for a class in their comfortable wine education room. Take your passion for the finer things in life to the next level at Total Wine & More. For a Total Wine & More store near you, or to make
0: purchases online, just surf your way to TotalWine.com. David will be back with more grape encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And boy, what a pleasure to
1: have on somebody who could pretty much answer any question I could possibly throw at her. And it is uh, Catherine Follis. She is a master psalm. She was the fifth. uh, Did we say lady psalm or female psalm? How do you what do you prefer, Catherine? Woman. Woman. Okay, I had it. I had it wrong on both levels. She it was. The, okay. She was the fifth woman psalm. Man, that was a tough decision. I would think to to decide to go really the hardest route you possibly could. But you were distinguishing between you know the different types of psalms, and I want to let you continue because it is a distinction I think that most people don't understand. So uh, you want to pick that back up where we left off?
2: Yes, David. So I was talking about the difference between the two major you know. Uh, Credential programs out there, the first being the Master Sommelier program, and the second being the Master of Wine. And as uh, I was explaining, you know, there are two very different um, programs. Uh, in, in the past, historically, someone would start out uh, with the Master of Wine program uh, and uh, end up either being a, a wine merchant, or uh, an educator, or a journalist, or writer. Uh, And there is a lot of writing essays and, you know, uh, dissertations and that kind of thing in the Master of Wine program. And it's nothing that has to do with um, really with interacting with people, with the public. The Master Sommelier program has service uh, as part of it where you actually have to, you know, serve people, you have to be comfortable with people, you have to be able to jump through many many hoops uh, and, and deal with, you know, the challenges of restaurant service live and that's a very kind of different type of personality. And so the, someone who wants to work in a restaurant uh, or own a restaurant uh, you know, or a wine bar, you know, the Master Sommelier program is really great for that. Someone who's really more of a bookworm type of person you know, that doesn't want to be in front of people, the, the, the Master of Wine program is probably a better fit. The, the M- Master Sommelier program doesn't have any kind of pre-training programs. You have to jump right in, but the Master of Wine program has the WSET, which is a kind of pre-MW training program with many levels. And so WSET has become incredibly popular, and it's a good way to kind of know if you want to pursue the Master of Wine title. WSET training also could help you prepare for Master Sommelier uh, exams because the theory is there. So you have to, one way or another, you have to learn the theory, you have to open the books, you have to make your flashcards, you have to do your studying, you have to, you know, talk to producers. The tasting that is done in all of these programs is all based on deductive tasting uh, principles. And so it's kind of, you know, uh, we're asking different things in the MW versus the MS. Uh, we're approaching it slightly different, but it's the same process that's used all over the world. And so, you know, all I can say is that, you know, you can read up on these programs on their their website, right. you know, kind of get an idea of what you're getting into. And anything, any kind of wine class that you take is going to help with something. So the more classes you take, whether they're formal uh, and extensive or it's just, you know, coming to a book signing at Dutton Goldfield on October 10th to meet Catherine Follis and get a copy of her book.
1: Absolutely. You know, a wine-
2: <laughs> a <laughs> Absolutely. winery like that, you're going to learn so much about The various, you know, best spots in Northern California for Pinot Noir live and have it explained to you, you know, by uh, folks in the tasting room, you know, and it's so amazing to kind of learn that way rather than just read about it. You know, the more that you can do, you can go to UC Davis on the weekends and take wine classes you can take classes, you know, uh, at many different places. wine schools around
1: the country Well, there's, um, there's such a there's so, such a wealth of information out there i mean there's just no end to the knowledge that you can tap into if you're interested in wine whatever aspect of it you might be interested in there's something out there for you there's an overabundance there's a flood of information really but it's best i do want to say i certainly recommend to people you know know what you really want to know before you go seeking that, because you can get deeply immersed in this, and you can find it eating up, you know, ninety-five percent of your time. So chart your course if you can. Um, you'll be better off for that. And and by the way, you don't have to be a wine expert if you don't want to be. Seek the knowledge that's going to help you, and and don't be intimidated if if uh, somebody else knows knows more than you. Catherine, I wanted to ask you about. You have so many other certifications and courses that you've taken. You're a wine junkie. Is that fair? <laughs> Absolutely. A, a wine knowledge junkie. It, it looks, your bio shows, a, to me, a person who just can't get enough. And I don't mean an, enough wine, but knowledge. So what what, what drives you and, and how much further do you want to go?
2: It's never black and white. I mean, you, you don't ever finish learning, and it's amazing, you know, for me to go to tastings and, and meet the producers and talk about, you know, their area and get the information firsthand, not information that some other person wrote down and then they put their opinion on it. I like right. to go right to the source, and, and going to the source involves meeting producers from all over the world at any given time, you know, and ideally in their, you know, uh, environment possible you know traveling is not not easy and you know um but it's the ultimate you know if you want to learn about the wines of chile you know the best thing you can do is go oh, to chile yeah. And,
1: yeah exactly it really does give oh, you it really uh, does give you a, a much different perspective you can go to you know tastings every day at you know wine shops or clubs or whatever but there's no substitute for immersing yourself in the environment where the wine is made. It's just a completely different perspective. Catherine, we're going to take a break in just a second, but we got two things we need to do. I want to get into this uh, concept of changing our wine wardrobe with the seasons, but after that, I want to spend some real quality time talking about your book, Ten Grapes to Know. It's a really interesting um, concept for a book, and I'm really curious uh, first and foremost, and we'll we'll answer this in a second. How you decided what those ten wines are? That must <laughs> there's probably some wines out there that are feeling a little left out and, and have some there sorts, are some I- inferiority complex thanks to Catherine Follis, uh Master of Sommelier, and that is who my guest is today. Catherine, I really appreciate it. We're gonna take a quick breather here for a second, and we will be back with more grape encounters. And uh, we're gonna be talking about what maybe you should be drinking as the seasons change and, and you know get some kind of perspective on why it is that we migrate from one wine to another depending upon what's going on outside. So we'll get into that next with Catherine Follis, Master Psalm on Grape Encounters Radio. This edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More. I can't think of any place better to start your late summer or early fall adventures than Total Wine & More. Whether you're hosting a backyard barbecue or just hanging out on the patio soaking up the sun, the best summer and fall experiences begin
0: at Total Wine & More. We've got to take a breather for a minute or two. Don't go away. Remember, if we don't let the wine breathe, it's impossible for the show to be done in good taste.
1: Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More. You know, every week we encourage you to look beyond the ordinary and seek the extraordinary. That's why you definitely want to check out Winery Direct at Total Wine and More. These are products that are identified by the yellow shelf tag in their stores and online. You can learn more at TotalWine.com. And now let's continue our discussion on Grape Encounters. I think the best part of my job on Grape Encounters is I get to talk to so many people who know so much about wine. And, you know, depending upon who you're talking to, you can get a completely different perspective from one person to the next. Different people have different priorities. Certain things turn one person on, but maybe not the other. And now, today, I get to do something that is particularly exciting. It's to talk to somebody who has such a depth of knowledge, such a wealth of knowledge, that pretty much anything you might want to know, uh, you can probably find inside the very complicated brain of Catherine Follis, Master Sommelier. Catherine, I so appreciate you being on today. Man, I wonder, sure, what, I, absolutely. I wonder what it's like to be... One of your do you have first of all non wine friends that are you know people that like wine but they're just not not like seriously into it, or do you just run yes. in, do you run in whiny circles
2: I mean my work is wine and and you know my friends if they're into wine great if they're not it's fine I mean I wine every day, I drink wine every night if I have a friend that wants to go grab some beers, that's completely fine. it's a nice break,
1: <laughs> so you don't intimidate your your non wine friends then is that correct
2: i don't I don't find uh uh, that in- intimidation helps bring more people into the world of wine and I've spent my career trying to make wine less intimidating and the subject matter more friendly and approachable and I think we're seeing that finally with the generation of sommeliers that's out there now uh, that they are you know less formal even though they do require formal training uh, that they're more comfortable that you know they can open a wine bar and wear jeans and t-shirts and still sell right. four thousand dollar bottles of burgundy you know I think yes you exactly. know it's the whole world of wine hopefully is getting less intimidating and that. That's, that's a, a goal for the industry, and it, it, it makes a better place, you know, for your listeners who just want to, you know, talk to somebody and say, "Hey, what do you recommend?"
1: Yeah, and, and I think it's really, um, I think it's really, really important to point out the fact that it, you will find that nearly everybody in the wine profession whatever aspect of it it might be they these are the most down to earth people on the planet they really are i mean wine people the, the idea of that really snobby person who's you know going to talk over your head and Make you feel stupid. That person's kind of been shoved into the corner, and thank goodness for that. Would you agree?
2: Well, unfortunately, there are still some of those uh, <laughs> yeah, well. kind of dinosaurs out there, but it's moving into the shadows, and that's great. You know, and it, it's just fun to to be with people that make it fun. And you see this in tasting rooms, you know, all over uh, where things are fun and more friendly, and the whole format is changing from you know one person, you know, behind the bar, kind of dispersing all the knowledge. It's turning into more of loungy situations, and exactly. you know more themed uh, you know experiences and so the whole world is you know going in a direction that that wine is more fun and it needs to because you know craft beer is fun why shouldn't wine be fun and now we've got gin is is fun why shouldn't wine be fun
1: (laughs) you know it's really and it's really funny I don't I I can't spend uh, a lot of time on this one idea but now even the craft spirits industry is really kicked into high gear so many you Mm -hmm. know small producers where uh, that didn't exist too much uh, uh, certainly not the way it exists today so it's it's a, it really the whole um, industry of adult beverages is awfully fun right now. It, yeah, it's a golden age of wine, beer, and spirits. So I'll just put it that way. Never been a better time. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about the uh, idea of how we, I guess, naturally as consumers, you know, find ourselves drinking different things at different times of the year. Is it something that I'm just doing naturally, or is it, am I being influenced by marketing people? What's your take?
2: So I think it's, more natural than uh, than marketing influence, although that does come into play um, in certain, for certain segments, like rosé, for example, uh, which has been huge. It's been a huge trend. Uh, I, still yeah. pretty active. But in general, I think we want what we want because of our environment. And as we leave summer and we leave kind of in all of that great outdoor activity, if you have access to that, you know, that puts your body in a different place. And if you're sitting, you know, uh, inside by a fire and it's going outside. And so when you put yourself physically into these different environments, your body will crave different things. I, you know, always talk to uh, folks about, you know, June, but we all, we like Cabernet and, you know, but it's going to be outside and... You know, and so it's, it's a certain, certain, a certain part of it is you should drink what you like whenever you like, uh, and not have any reservations about that. But if you're choosing for a, you know, a couple hundred people, keep in mind their level of comfort. And sure, maybe the bride and groom want Cabernet Sauvignon and it's 110 degrees in St. Helena, you know, at 9 p.m., but maybe your guests would prefer maybe a, a nicely chilled, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, you know, or uh, a Pinot Noir, you know, something right. a little bit lighter. So it's one thing to pick wines that you want whenever you want, go for it, you know. Um, and But it's another one you're choosing for a larger group. Um, and, it, and that's where, you know, we can come in and we can help you.
1: But you know, one of the things that's really fascinating to me is just what creatures of habit we really are, uh, we human beings are. There are so many people that I meet that it doesn't matter what the weather is, it doesn't matter where they are, you know, they just drink Chardonnay or they just drink Cabernet or they just drink whatever. And and getting them to try something different or to adjust what they're consuming to the environment and the situation that they're in is a very difficult task. But yet once you get somebody to, to cross that bridge, their wine world opens up in a way that it never did before. And the one question that all of us who work in wine probably hate the most is when somebody says, what's your favorite wine? And it's like, oh, gosh, it's that one over there. And I don't know why I've got a wine cellar cuz I only drink that bottle there and we've got to get <laughs> we've got to get beyond that and broaden our horizons so I'm really excited about getting into your book in just a second but what would you suggest for the person who you know is resisting changing what they're drinking at this time of year? Where would you steer somebody right now? Can you give me kind of a blueprint of where we maybe ought to be going between now and the end of the year?
2: Well, we have a couple of things coming up that tend to impact you know uh, what you're doing for your wine selections, and that's the holidays. We have all of the you know the big holiday meals and gatherings, and and those tables are set with traditional foods. And, you know, you have this pressure to pick the right wine. And I just wrote an article about this for Thanksgiving, for example. You know, what is the perfect wine for Thanksgiving? Well, there isn't a perfect wine. <laughs> you know, you you have a multitude of dishes. You have a multitude of tastes you know, coming coming in. Um, and so I recommend a variety of, you know, uh, uh, lighter, uh, medium, full-bodied, you know, some dry, some maybe slightly sweet, you know, some sparkling. I mean, to have a variety to suit, you know, a, a, a variety of taste. Um, I think if you're a Chardonnay drinker, one of the things that I have in the book, 10 Grapes to Know, is branch out. So for Chardonnay, if you're a Chardonnay fan and a Chardonnay lover and you even have a particular brand, you know, that's great. It's like when you go to Starbucks, why why should you change your order if you know what you like? So you like a grande cappuccino made with almond milk. Why should you change it to something else? With wine, it's kind of the same thing. Sometimes you try something new and it doesn't leave you. You don't like it. But for Chardonnay, I gave us a branch out grape Pinot Blanc. And the other thing is, as we go into the fall season, we're looking at what is changing on our table. We're saying goodbye to all the wealth of summer, the you know, the, the tomatoes and all of the products that we had all summer is all changing. And now we're looking at winter vegetables. We're looking at, you know, squash and root vegetables and all of that changes for many of us what's on our plates. And as our menus change at home, what we're eating changes, you know, that's a good time to look at what you're drinking. And do you really enjoy drinking that oaky buttery Chardonnay with your butternut squash uh, ravioli? Or maybe you'd like to look at something different, like a Sauvignon Blanc. That would be a really nice herring with that particular dish. So it really depends on how invested are you in trying something new.
1: Absolutely. And I just can't overemphasize this enough. In the wine world, heaven knows how many different wines available to us. I don't know how many varietals or variations on varietals, hybrids, whatever, exist out there. And then you've got, you know, take that and then we've got different people making different versions. Versions of that wine, and that's the joy of enjoying wine. So take advantage of it because we don't have that privilege in um, in, in too many realms.
2: There are you know so many options. There's thousands of grape varieties, and it's it, it can be um, it can be a little daunting. I, I observe people when they're at the grocery store or at Trader Joe's or at Total Wines. You know they're looking at these shelves, and you know they're just they're, they're lost. You know, and I, I observe this, and I talk about this in the book. You know, how can you pick a good wine? Well. In in a store, uh, like Total Wine, they have people. They have passionate, wine passionate, beer passionate, you know, spirit passionate, uh, driven people. You know, if you can taste something first like they do in the, in the grocery store where they are sampling the different types of, you know, ravioli or... I think when you taste something and you say, oh, I like that, you're often going to go grab it, grab that and buy it. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, these are these are ways for you to kind of take the risk without, you know, losing your money. Because what if you spend, you know, 20 bucks on a bottle of wine that was recommended to you and you just don't like it, you know, you should have gotten maybe a, a nice stack of craft beer. For that
1: exactly. We're talking to Catherine Follis, Master Sommelier, and by the way, she's a wine judge, she's a wine scholar, she's a writer, she's a critic, she's a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, and she's my guest <laughs> today on Grape Encounters, and we're going to uh, come back and we're going to talk about uh, her book, which I think you're going to find really, really, really interesting as uh, we dive into it. I want to dive into the reasoning behind the wines that she chose, the 10 wines that we should know. And we'll do that next on Grape Encounters. Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More. The first time that I ever went to a Total Wine & More store, it was about a decade ago, and I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And the best part of it was that I was very much alive. It's the ultimate place to fulfill all of your wine, beer, and spirit needs. For a Total Wine & More store near you, visit TotalWine.com. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio and a very special, I mean, super special privilege to talk to Catherine Follis, who is a master psalm, but way more than that. She is a wine scholar. She's an educator. She's a writer. She's a wine judge and author of 10 grapes to know. And Catherine, let's dive into that. How do we take all these varietals of wine out there and boil it down and say, these are the 10 grapes that I want to talk about? What was the criteria? I I want to know what was going on in your head and get a better idea about the chosen ones.
2: So I have all these big wine encyclopedias and I've contributed (laughs) to a lot of them. And there are thousands of grapes, but do you really need to know about thousands of grapes. The average person, you know, I see in the grocery store aisle, or at Trader Joe's and they're just standing there and they're stunned. They have this look of panic and they don't know what to pick out. But if they're in the aisle picking out their spaghetti sauce. They're just grabbing one, you know, the grab one that they like or that they know or or maybe a new brand if they don't see their favorite. It's not a big deal. It's spaghetti sauce. So wine should be like spaghetti sauce. You should pick one and enjoy it and it shouldn't be such a big (laughs) challenge. But unfortunately, there's such a huge variation in what's available out there. So I wanted to create kind of a roadmap to, hey, these are 10 grapes that are widely available. You might know one of them. You might know all of them, but you're going to learn something about each of these 10 grapes. You're going to also have specific recommendations of nationally distributed wine brands that are recommended in the book. I've got about 400 wines that have been pulled from Planet Grape Wine Review, which is our new wine review platform. And, you know, you have specific examples of these grapes that you can find in your local store. And that was so important to me to be able to give folks a chance to learn about maybe a new grape that they had heard about or they've been wanting to try, but not just telling them about the grape, but telling them, here's 10 of these wines from this grape that are under 20 $20. and here's a few that are from 20 to 50 and here's one that's over $50. I really feel like you don't have to spend a huge amount of money and who's going to spend $50 on a Monday night for a bottle of nice wine? I, I don't think it's necessary. And so I have wines that start at $4 in this book and $4 is a real price point for a Monday night wine. And I found the best wines that I could in all of these categories. And so it was important that you could pick up a copy of this book and look at the chapter on Chardonnay and maybe find your favorite in there, but maybe find some, new ones in there as well, you know, or maybe find another grape that you wouldn't have considered like Viognier.
1: (laughs) I love the idea that you deal in accessible wines that most people are going to be able to get their hands on. That's so important.
2: It is so important. I'm a consumer advocate. You know, people see my posts. I take pictures of these closeout wines and I post them and it's unfortunate for the producers whose distributor has sat on the inventory and then it gets old, it's a year old, and then they dump it into the market. But if there's a $25 retail wine that's at four ninety nine. go get it, you know, why not? As long as it's not old or, you know, oxidized.
1: Let's jump into those nice bottles of wine. And can we just real quickly dive into the 10 grapes? We don't have a lot of time here, but I mm-hmm. think it would be fun just to say a paragraph or two about each one. And up in the upper left-hand corner on the cover is one of my favorites and maybe one of the most underappreciated grapes out there, Syrah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Syrah is such a lovely, alluring red wine. And if you think of the music of Pink or Halsey, you know, that's kind of, to me, the personality of Syrah. Because it can be a little sultry and a little stinky, really, you know, very exotic. It just makes such an impact on so many people. And
1: And the other thing about Syrah is the fact that it's just really an undervalued wine. It's really, you can buy great Syrahs for a very nice price. So you hit on one of my favorites. We don't have a lot of time, so let's go to the next one. One, and it's uh, kind of an obvious choice, which is Chardonnay. But, man, there's a lot of different Chardonnays out there right now, different styles, different producers. The sky's the limit
2: there are so many and you may not have you know even tried the original Chardonnay which is from Burgundy France and so it might be interesting for you if you're a classic California Chardonnay lover to try something else so even if you know all about your grape you're still going to learn something from this book and you know there are 10 grapes each chapter has for the grape I've given it a dating profile so you can read about that wait what does that mean a dating profile well a a lot of people are using these apps Hinge and Tinder and all of these things and you have to fill out a dating profile And so it is a lexicon that many people Familiar with, so why not give them something that's <laughs> familiar to them as a way to help learn about the grape? Sure. Chardonnay, also, every grape has a celebrity, so Chardonnay is Pharrell because why? Well, because Pharrell made that song happy and Chardonnay is happy, uh, uh, you know, you and so these are ways to bring you in, and then in addition to that, you're you know, there's a little information, there's food pairings. Each grape has food pairings that you wouldn't necessarily think of from everyday life that are sometimes from Lean Cuisine or Marie Callender's or Trader Joe's Frozen Isle. Each grape has you know recommended wines at a variety of price points, many of them under $20 and many below 10 And the wines that are included are accessible and they're available nationally, so you're not going to have to go too far to seek them out. So Catherine, you know, we,
1: we, we literally are down to the last minute or so of the show. Pick out a couple of varietals that are maybe going to be surprises to some people. I see one in particular. Well,
2: I think Sangiovese. There you go. People (laughs) ask me why Sangiovese, and I'm like, "Have you had one recently?" (laughs) Yeah. You know, well, first of all, I love Italy, and of course, Sangiovese is the major grape of Italy. But we have a lot of Italian food in America. We have a lot of Italian population, Italian restaurants. So why not explore this amazing Italian grape? To me, the secret of Sangiovese, why it's so alluring to me, is because it is tart and acidic and a little bitter, and that sounds awful, doesn't it? Yes, it does. You know, when we're used to a nice, plush, you know, rich, soft, toasty red wine from California. But when you're eating a complex dish that's very rich and has a lot of ingredients and is very, very full and complex, a Sangiovese is the perfect kind of backdrop wine to bolster the dish, to lift it up and to bring you more balance on your palate so that you'll want to take another bite of the food and then take another sip of the wine. And it just works so beautifully together. I think many of the European wines are misunderstood because they're tasted on their own, you know, next to a ripe, plush, mouth-filling wine. And the European wines are really backdrop wines to make the food taste better.
1: The book is 10 Grapes to Know. The author Catherine Follis. And Catherine, your website is grapecom and we're going to post a link to it as well on our site grapeencounters.com. Uh, Catherine, I can't thank you enough for being on and I couldn't be more appreciative.
2: Thanks. It was a grape encounter.
1: <laughs> it was a grape encounter. Let's do this. Let's do this again, right? <laughs> What a pleasure to talk to Catherine Fallis, and you can find this interview if you want to share it with somebody else at grapeencounters.com and everything else that we do, and we're going to be back here next week with a, another grape encounter for you. Many thanks to our sponsor, Total Wine and More. You will never find a greater selection of wine in one place. It's just totally and utterly amazing. If you want to become more familiar with them, go to TotalWine.com. We'll be back here at the same time next week on the same channel with more grape encounters. Look forward to talking to you then.